What we do here is go back, 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 back. back. And welcome into episode Trenta Nueve of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. I feel like my Spanish pronunciation gets worse. That was really bad. That was yes. really bad. <laughs> but I'm just I'm just forging ahead anyway. Uh, we're doing we're, we talk about wrestling on this podcast. My name is David Statman, and as always, I am joined by my good friends Angelo and Glisa and Jake Long as we rewatch, relive, and remember. A different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. My girlfriend, who's in the other room, just texted me, listening to me do this open. Quote, I hate that you do it in Spanish every time. I don't know why I started. <laughs> I don't know why I started it either, but I'm just doing it. It's a thing now. It's a bit. Hey, it's your, uh, at this point, you're basically qualified to be in a tag team with Bad Bunny and uh, Damian Priest. Yes, we're doing a six-man tag. It's me, Damian Priest, and Bad Bunny against The Miz, John Morrison, and Morgan Wallet. That's the team. <laughs> Main event of Fastlane. But we're back on the show. We are now one week without an accident on two and a half marks. And they changed the number we, real quick. Yeah, just flip the flip card on our on our on our factory wall. And we are talking about some real doo-doo ass dog shit. We're talking about WWE <laughs> Great American Bash. 2006, the Knights of Elevated Enzymes. Elevated Enzymes. <laughs> How are your enzymes um, doing, boys? They are, after watching this show, they went down real fast. Yeah, they are depressed after this. This is awful. Well, um, so, you, you don't want them to be elevated. I've learned that this is a bad thing. You want I've your got enzymes, depressed enzymes. You want your enzymes to be de-elevated. You want them to be... The opposite of that. I do. Not, I do not wish this card on any of our listeners. Because, by the way, something I had realized this week is that we have listeners on every continent except Antarctica. Wow! I had to call somebody at like one of like the research stations at like Lake Vostok, Antarctica, and get them to listen to our podcast. I mean, wait, are there are there penguins in Antarctica? Yeah. Let's just never, buy a penguin and iPod. Have you never seen the movie Happy Feet? You yeah. North God, not gonna lie, I have no idea where that took place. But North I'm pretty po- sure it North takes place po- in North Pole are uh, polar bears. South Pole are penguins. I think there's penguins oh. on the North Pole too, if I'm not mistaken. Though the right? dude that made Happy Feet Probably. also made a bunch of like super gory and outlandish movies. So that's a fun fact. For yeah. Me. Yeah, I didn't know this. I forget who it was. Look, I wasn't. I didn't get hired to this position because I know a lot about biology. Oh yeah, it was literally made by the dude who made like Mad Max Fury Road. That's sweet. Who who yeah, is he, it? George Miller, who like made George a bunch Miller. of the Mad yeah. Max movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, fun he also, stuff. Fun stuff. He also made the uh, the Babe movies. He made huh. Babe Two, Pig in the City. <laughs> Dude, Mad Max Fury Road is such a fucking kick-ass movie. I love that movie. Yeah, uh, but you know, and it's a lot better. You should just go watch Mad Max Fury Road instead of watching this card. This entire or, card. Or, we're just... really, or really listening to this podcast because our podcast sucks. <laughs> this entire <laughs> card, we're going to talk about everything other than wrestling. Because outside of the first match and maybe the main event and maybe the match before the main event, nothing matters, nothing happens, and it's all boring. None of the three things that Angelo said might be outliers are correct this was all bad yeah check the absolutely loaded cast of happy feet 
<laughs> we're talking Elijah Wood, Robin oh. Williams, Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, Hugo Weaving. Holy Man, shit. That's a loaded cast. Anyway, we're talking about uh, Great American Bash 2006. This, this show sucked, guys. show was really bad. It was not Cursed really bad shit. in an entertaining way either, like some of the late-period no. WCW shows that we watched. And it's really weird because I was telling Jake before we started recording, and I think this is for you as well, Angelo, this is when we got into wrestling. Like, I have a lot of very fond memories of being a 12-year-old kid watching 06 SmackDown. And it was weird going back and watching this and realize, like, not, I didn't remember it sucking this much. Because it fucking sucks. It hurts. It's terrible. It really hurts. Um, I feel like my childhood is ruined. I need to go back in time and beat the shit out of myself. Because this, I remember begging my parents to uh, buy this on pay-per-view so I could watch it. Because I was like, oh shoot, it's going to be really fun. There's a Rey Mysterio match. I really want to watch this. I got to watch it, like, some now 15 years later. Again, <laughs> I, someone needs to be hit, and that someone's me. Yeah. The Inglisa, the Inglisa parents were, as usual, in the right by <laughs> not pay, not spending money on you to watch wrestling. But but yeah, like we this is the time like like you said, David. This is the first time I really started watching wrestling, and I don't remember it being this bad. But outside, like Rey Mysterio and the Paul Anderson and Brian Kedrick, whew, that was sucked. the one thing. That was the one thing I did take solace in. Like, yes, it sucked watching, it, especially watching it back now. But Rey Mysterio still cool. Paul Anderson and Brian Kedrick still cool. So that was okay. That was okay. I took heart in that. I've got thoughts, but let's go on. Okay. But <laughs> sounds like we're ready to remember some guys. You guys want to remember some guys? There's a guy in this first match. <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's some guy. There are a few guys in this first match. Okay. So let's get it going. It is July 23rd, 2006. We are at the Conseco Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, Indiana, home of the Indiana Pacers. Got 9,750 people in the building for Great American Bash, a SmackDown-exclusive pay-per-view, which, and we hinted at this a little bit in the open, this show had to be, like, wholesale changed. There were at least three <laughs> matches on this show that had to be changed at, like, the last minute due to, quote-unquote, elevated liver enzymes that several of their talent uh, tested positive for or came up in their physicals or whatever. What that really means is after the death of Eddie Guerrero, they had instituted like a wellness policy and started actually testing for steroids. And a bunch of guys tested positive for steroids and they weren't sure how to kayfabe it yet. Okay, so so let me ask you this because I, I was doing some reading. Did they actually test positive for steroids? Uh, now, I don't know if they tested positive for steroids right. but it is pretty it, well, like it's it's pretty much code because like one right. of the things that happens when you take steroids is you get elevated liver enzymes right that's the other reason so, i asked is because like as i was reading through it nothing ever said positive tests they all said that same shit of elevated enzymes elevated enzymes and i was like okay so maybe they didn't truly like find anabolic steroids they just found all of the indicators of anabolic steroids i kept yeah. trying to find like what elevated enzymes and i'm like oh is it like a specific thing 
Like, again, we're living in the COVID era. Is it, like, some kind of disease? Like, I kind of figured it was steroids. But, like, <laughs> it was just like, oh, yeah, elevated enzymes can be caused by a whole lot of things. I'm like, okay, great. That really narrows it down. Yeah. But, no, the steroid thing makes the most sense. I'm pretty sure I remember somewhat hearing about that at some point. But, I don't know. It just, I mean, again, it, it just ruins this entire card, including the first ever Punjabi prison match. Yes. Oh, my God. We're, we're going to talk about the Punjabi prison match tonight, boys. I but... think, arguably, Big Show being in that match made that better than it would have been. Oh, my God. Big Show being in the match took it from, a like, a minus five stars to, like, just your regular really shitty match. Right. <laughs> but we'll get to that. We'll get to the Punjabi prison match. It should have been Divari. Because of... The elevated enzymes running through the SmackDown roster. We have a bunch of matches uh, changed, including the Punjabi prison match, which we will get to, originally scheduled to be Undertaker and Great Kali. It's not going to be Great Kali because his liver enzymes, they're all messed up. So, but it's, it's weird because, like, they are still as late as the intro video to this card, still advertising great Kali for the Punjabi prison. So the mat I know the the, the warm up to the video package for the match right before the match was all about Kali. Yeah. It is it's, it's ridiculous. It is false advertising city in WWE for Great American Bash. Absolutely. It is ludicrous. Card subject to change, baby. Yeah. Oh, I hate that. They are and listen, uh, this is one thing that like I've I've heard Dave Meltzer talk about this a lot over the years how like wwe is the one like everyone puts card subject to change but wwe is like the one organization i think them and maybe he also mentions i think triple a that are like the like the only organizations that are like we'll use that as a way to just advertise whatever we want and then just change whatever we want at the last second because like it's obviously going to be card subject to change because people might get injured but like most organizations will actually follow through on what they advertise, except for WWE. They all they just don't give a shit. But we'll get there. We're starting off. We have Michael Cole and JBL on the call, and we're probably going to have some some strong opinions about the uh, the announcing work on this show. I'm I'm, I'm just going to guess. But we're starting off with one of the few matches on the card that actually stayed normal and stayed the same. We are starting off with the WWE Tag Team Championships on the line. It is the champions, Paul London and Brian Kendrick, a big-time favorite of 12-year-old David Statman. And how old were you, Ange? 11? Uh, let's see, 2006, I was 11. I was, I, was, I was 10. I was actually 10 at this time. 10-year-old Angelo Inglis, a big fan. Both, both of us big fans of these guys, Paul London and Brian Kendrick, on their really long uh, tag team title run. Defending against the Pitbulls, Kid Cash and Jamie Noble, who did not bring his sex case with him to Indianapolis because he had to fit this giant chain in his luggage. These guys are coming out with giant chains around their necks. It's a cool stylistic matchup. You got the high flyers, London and Kendra taking on kind of the hard-nosed Matt wrestlers, Kid Cash and Jamie Noble. Um, and it's it's a pretty cool match. It's honestly, I think, the best match on the show. We have uh, London Kendrick doing a bunch of cool tag team lucha shit. They do a bunch of dives. Eventually, when the ref is turned around, the pit pulls double team on Brian Kendrick. The heels get the heat. Uh, they drop kick 
Paul London off the apron and they just thuds into the ground with a, just a big slam into the ground. They beat him down for a while. Uh, eventually London, he's, a, they do the spot where he's about to get the hot tag and then Noble rips Kendrick off the apron. But eventually London finally gets the tag. Kendrick flies in with this great hot tag where he's zooming around at a billion miles an hour and doing a bunch of moves. He hits Cash with this big uh, drop kick to the face, but Cash gets his foot on the ropes. He does this huge step-up dive to the outside. And then finally, the finish. Brian Kendrick does a sunset flip on Kid Cash, and then London comes off the middle rope and boots him over, and Kendrick gets the pin. The good, the good guys retain the titles in 13 minutes and 28 seconds. Really fun opener, and it was all downhill from here. I'm going first because Jake's going to shit on this match. He has already told me as much. I was um, just about to let you go, buddy. So and I don't, I don't understand because this was good. I don't either. I, like good. with with Brian Kendrick, oh. Brian Kendrick and Paul London had like again. You have these air about you guys, and the, both these guys have it. Like it's all frantic energy. It's all chaotic. And they play it to a T. It's perfect. It, it works for their gimmick. Again, they don't have a real tag team name, but for them, it worked. It never felt like I, I make fun of just generic name and name tag teams a lot on this podcast. But Brian Kendrick and Paul London, Paul London and Brian Kendrick, always worked. It didn't need to be this weird thing because again, they came out in the same gear. They had the same kind of like, kind of like goofy mask that they ran out in. And it's just like this huge frantic energy. The Pitbulls, it's a bad name, but you know what? It's simple. It works for Jamie Noble and Kid Cash. Kid Cash, I mentioned in my notes, he looks like a Jericho clone. Like, he looks a little bit like Jericho. Mm -hmm. Yes, Um, I I can see it a little bit. And then you have Jamie Noble. I mean, both those guys are Matt wrestlers, but they they did a great job of, like, capturing the viciousness of that tag team. And so when you have those two styles, like, it really does make a solid match. When you have two teams that are so clearly in a certain niche... It leads to a solid match. You don't need to really need to have a lot. Was it the most high high risk flippy stuff? No, but it was entertaining. Both both the teams. There was a story throughout the match. It was coherent. Um, drop kicking London off the skinning the cat spot where he just falls back first onto the uh, outside. That looked really brutal. Um, it was also very interesting for me because I remember like loving Paul London. Paul London was my favorite guy in this tag team, and it, they kind of book him as like the face of the tag team. But Brian Kedrick in this match was just such a great worker. Like, everything he was doing looked great. He had all these unique kicks. He was always moving a little bit more fast than uh, Paul London. Uh, outside of that, like, there's not really anything to write home about Kid Cash or Jamie Noble that works for them because they're kind of their style is to be boring. Uh, but again, I think this is fine. The end spot was weird. The sunset flip to end the match was a little bit odd, I felt like. Uh, but, I thought it was fine. I thought it was a pretty normal spot. I, I, it was. It, I just didn't feel like it had the impact that like a finish of a match like this should have had. But the, I, I'm not going to knock it points for that. I think it was a very good match. It was a solid I'm, opener. I'm trying to remember. Did they even have a finisher? No, they Kendrick? did not. I do not yeah, remember them yeah. having a finisher. Because Kendrick, Kendrick had the sliced bread. That was always his finisher. But I don't know if they had like a real tag team I think finisher. London had a moonsault, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I mean, it's probably one of those deals where like, you hit the sliced bread into the moonsault or something. It'd probably be pretty cool. So, okay, Don't so that, that I tell you what, that right there perfectly segments into what I'm going to say about this match. Hey, Angelo, tell me something interesting about London and Kendrick. They had those really you, cool, 
Here, you okay. can't. Here is something interesting about Paul London and Brian. I didn't Kendrick. ask you, David. I asked no, Angelo, I'm answering for Angelo because he is not going to have an answer. For I was gonna say I like the fact that they. That's why. I like the fact they ran into the like. They, I love the fact that they just like sprinted into the ring immediately for their entrance, and they had those really interesting like jester masks. I thought that was like something really cool with them. I didn't even like the jester masks. Honestly, <laughs> I thought they were pretty lame. But here is the thing that was cool about Brian Kendrick and and Paul London. They were in a time where WWE didn't give a lot of time and attention to smaller, flippy guys. They wrestled a unique style from a lot of other people, and they were fun to watch. And they moved faster than everybody else, and they flew around in the air, and they did cool spots. And especially when you're a kid, you think that shit is so freaking cool. And every other every other match in WWE, especially like like. It, it feels like everybody's wrestling the same style. When somebody is doing something a little bit different, a little bit faster paced, that's cool. And that is why they kind of connected, at least with me and I think with right. Andrew. You want to know something oh. interesting, too, because I did research, and this is something else cool about Paul London. Uh, he was trained by Chase da- – uh, not Chase Daniels. Uh, Chris- Chase Daniels? <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> I couldn't read my notes. Good for Chase Daniels, man. Uh, chain- cha- uh, trained with Chris Daniels. He also tag teamed with El Generico at a brief point. So, again, cool points for he, Paul. He him. also tag teamed with Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson in PWG as well. Huh. Yeah. So, all right. I did not give a shit about any single competitor in this match. There is – like – London and Kendrick had a year-long reign with the titles, and I and I know that because they were, like, the longest-reigning SmackDown tag teams or whatever, but, like, I couldn't tell you who they fought. Like, they, they fought they fought Eminem for a really long time. That was their big Oh, boy! Team. Okay, like, well, here's... Let me fucking tell you something, man. You can shit on it all you want, <laughs> but you were not there as a kid watching SmackDown, and... They were kind of the cool new team who did flips. That was all you needed to get over with a twelve-year-old kid. I actually right, well, let's, well let's talk about shit. They were that's... they were they were cool young dudes who did flips and they moved fast and they ran to the ring super quick <laughs> I... and they were cool. I mean, I don't know what you want. <laughs> let's talk like, about shit from our childhoods man. that was cool back then and isn't now, baby. You saw like I don't know, man. I just did not. Okay, here's here's what I'm trying to say. Sure, fine match. I didn't mind it at all. But, like, I think that it's elevated by the fact that it was the only watchable thing on this entire card. Sure. But I think on its own, I think it stands on its own as a solid match. Like, you could put this on any show, and people would like, it's it's kind of your typical, like, hey, you've got the athletic babyface team, and you got the gritty heel team who's trying to, you know, wear them down and work them over. It's kind of like it's a very just typical type of tag match. But it's good. Everything's done well. The fans get into it. Like, you could put this on any show, and it would be fine. You know, it's good. It's solid. Right, it's solid right. work. Okay, sure. But, like, but once again, elevated by the card it's on, I stand by that. Okay, now, well, I'm not disagreeing with you, but that doesn't mean it sucks. Angelo, have I told you how much I love riling David up? <laughs> I just, I just, you're over here talking shit and saying things that are not true. David... David will not allow any Brian Kendrick slander on his podcast. Not. Listen, Brian Kendrick <laughs> is great and has always been great. And it is time we appreciate him. Now, David, I watched this card for three hours today. I didn't enjoy a goddamn second of it, and I am going to espouse my views. Now, David, I'm trying to remember the 2006 tag team division. I know we had uh, <laughs> Paul London and Brian Kendrick. 
Yes. The Pitbulls, Eminem. I think Vito and Nunzio were still tagging at this time. Yes, the uh, the FBI. They ended up losing the titles, if I remember correctly, to Deuce and Domino. I, th- I remember Deuce and Domino. I thought they were a little bit later. And then you had Jesse and Festus, too. Jesse what and Festus were around. Division. You had um, – what was the team? The team um, – the team, Damian Sandow, what was it? He was in the... Oh, shit. Um, it was Damian Sandow, and it was another guy. And they were like, Michelle McCool was like the sexy teacher. And they oh. were like, Teacher's Pets. Teacher's Pets. Teacher's yeah. pets. I don't That's remember the other called. guy. But one of them ended up becoming Damian Sandow. I don't remember, <laughs> but they were also there. Damn, I forgot about them. Holy shit. Yeah. It's like, okay, it's a bunch of teams that no one will ever remember in, in any way. But at least throughout most of their race. But, you know, still, I don't care. They were cool. I always enjoyed them. And they were a little bit different and a little bit unique from everybody else. And just their style, the way they worked, the way they moved, the way they did everything. You know, I enjoyed them a lot. And I went back and watched them you know, just the other day. And I thought they were still good. Is this where we can talk about how JBL criticizes like the Spanish announce team for speaking Spanish <laughs> and then promptly oh call and then promptly calls Michael Cole a xenophobe. Can we talk about that here? Yeah. He also calls the APA one of the greatest tag teams of all time. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, JBL like JBL is going ape shit this whole match. Like there's several matches where he's going ape shit the whole time. But this one especially because he he hates London and Kendrick. <laughs> he's going crazy about how stupid they are for doing flips and jumping. He was it's doing cool stuff. It is sad <laughs> because this ma- this cart this entire pay per view was so bad that the JBLisms that occur like on commentary are one of the most entertaining things to have, whether they're good things or bad things. Because he just is spouting absolute nonsense the entire time. Some of it funny, some of it very bad. Some of it just so poorly dated and just in bad taste now. But, like, he's entertaining because he's just so off the walls. Because yeah. he, you never know what he's going to say next. And he t- talks about, like, throughout this entire tag team match, he's criticizing uh, London and Kendrick. He's gushing over Noble and Cash until uh, Noble and Cash start taunting uh, the champs. And then, at the end, like, he congratulates Paul Lennon and Brian Kendrick for being champs and defending their title. So like he is a absolute roller coaster as the heel color guy. And you know what? That was one of the most entertaining things about this entire card. There is not a sink for better or for worse. JBL doesn't say a single thing on the show that isn't absolutely preposterous. Just <laughs> <laughs> outlandish. Every single thing he says the entire night. It's really like he vacillates between like wildly this whole show in between just completely unbearable to just genuinely hilarious and <laughs> it's crazy it's just it's bizarre and it's really just it's overwhelming at times we'll, we'll talk about it here in a little bit but like this show or we said we said we say this a lot but this show was very 2006 and not in a good way no, not in a not in a good way at all in any way. But I like this match. I thought it was a good start. And then it all goes downhill from here. So we go backstage. Uh we have Davari and Kali. Uh Davari at the time, we've seen him in a few different incarnations on this show. At the time he was the great Kali's manager. And 
we've got, you know, this is going to lead into something. We have Kali saying in just completely incomprehensible words. I mean, he's just screaming gibberish um, in his Kali voice. I mean, because I don't, I don't know if you can understand anything that he says in any language. But he doesn't want to wait for the Punjabi prison match. He wants to throw down now. So put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that. So the next matchup is the United States Championship match. And it is supposed to be uh, the champion, Finley, defending the title against Bobby Lashley. My man, Bobby, Bobby Lashley. Lashley. So it's, it's time for the United States Championship match. But instead, Teddy Long comes out, our beloved SmackDown general manager. He, he comes out to the ring. He has a microphone. And he says, I have some bad news for everybody. During his physical, Bobby Lashley was found to have elevated enzymes. Elevated enzymes. In his liver. And he is out for medical reasons. He's not wrestling. The fans are all booing this because it's just ridiculous false advertising. Lashley comes out anyway. He's looking all ripped. He's full gear ready. And he takes the mic and he says, I don't think there's a damn thing wrong with me. And the crowd is chanting, let him fight. He obviously looks <laughs> fine. And Teddy says, when you're medically cleared, you're going to have your chance with the U- for, for the U.S. title. So then Finley comes out, the champion. He's got his buddy with him, William Regal. Uh, Finley walks out, uh, and he basically calls Lashley a pussy. And he says, you should just announce me the winner by forfeit. Teddy Long responds by saying, I promised the fans that there would be a U.S. title match. And that's going to happen. And tonight, Finley, you're going one-on-one with your buddy William Regal for the title, playa. So they do the match. Uh, and okay. JBL, JBL Before is- you talk about this, can I complain really quickly? Yes, please do. Okay. I, I'm, I'm just going to take this time to do my rant about this part of it. All right. We have the elevated enzymes thing that we've kind of already referenced. WWE, every single time, they have issues like this. They drop the ball. And I think that COVID-19 is the perfect example. When was the first time they acknowledged COVID-19 on a show? I believe when Drew McIntyre. Yeah, and that was the only time they actually, like, did it, I think, in a normal way. Where it was yep. like, yeah, Drew tested positive for COVID. And he cuts so a he's promo home. say, yeah, he's, like, sitting at home. And he's like, hey, I tested positive for COVID. You guys wear your masks and I'll be back soon. And then Look at that. he quarantined for a couple weeks and he was fine. And then he came back. Yep. Like that's the normal human way to deal. With. <laughs> and that, was, never what, that, that. was that was what Jan- that was just earlier January, right? Yeah, that was a couple weeks. You ago. mean right. Triple H <laughs> coming up on SmackDown and after like everything gets shut down and saying we're gonna continue putting on a show for you, the viewers, so you can take your mind off things despite what's going on in the world, without alluding to the fact that everything just shut down. They're just kind of like. Pussyfooting yeah. around it. They're just like saying, oh, we'll do it for you guys. Nine nine months later, they finally acknowledge COVID-19. I don't know why they can't acknowledge real-world stuff. Why can't they just say, like, you know, there was a test, or there, there was a drug test, and they failed it. Or, or just completely write them off and don't acknowledge it at all. Like, you've got those two, those two options. WWE always picks the worst option for yeah, it. Yeah, because especially after... One of your, we're we're still just a few months removed from one of their big stars dying very young. A guy who had been on steroids and was obviously on steroids and his 
death is, I think, believed to have, you know, had something to do with the fact that he abused steroids for a long time. Yep. You know, and they institute this wellness policy. This actually, you know, if they come out and say, hey, these guys, they tested positive, they failed a drug test, and they're off the show, we're suspending them for however long, that makes them look good because you're showing people, hey, we have this policy and we're taking it serious. Absolutely. That makes you look good. That makes you look like a responsible company. I hate how tainted my brain is by WWE because right now I'm thinking about, well, if you have your babyface Bobby Lashley test positive for steroids, well, that's not something a true babyface would do. Like if they had come out and said like Kali was the one that tested positive for steroids, that's still just heat for Kali. Now Who you're, cares? Now you're, you're, but Bobby Lashley tested positive. Test to get heat. <laughs> he failed his steroid test to get heat as a heel. <laughs> Am I wrong though? Is that like some no. WWE shit? No, but like still, I mean, still though, still. Because <laughs> the other like, one, I mean, the other one besides I, Kali that tested positive for elevated enzymes, elevated enzymes was super crazy because he was supposed to take on uh, Gregory Helms. Yes, he was also supposed to wrestle on this show, and he was a baby face. But now I think they eventually started when people would test positive and fail the policy or whatever they would just say this guy failed his poli- the the policy and he's taken off tv but i think it 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 ha- they had it didn't start happening until i think benoit was when oh. they started actually saying like okay this guy just failed a drug test because it happened a few years ago with roman reigns who is the top baby face and he failed a drug test and they suspended him for like a month and they just said yeah roman reigns failed a well wellness policy test yeah, so yeah, they, they started doing I mean, it eventually, isn't it? I, again, we t- I, I I always love to shit on WWE branding. So they violated the wellness policy. Like, okay, bro, he tested positive for something. He's it's like, <laughs> I just I, I hate their vernacular so much. Pumping some gas in his ass. Listen, man, <laughs> I saw I just saw Carlito the other night. Bro. I don't know if he's passing anything. But, uh, we'll see. The one guy I remember from mid two thousands who was definitely on the uh, on the gas and is just my face when I think of steroids in WWE is Chris Masters. I was gonna say I better yeah. you better say Chris Masters. <laughs> that guy was roided. That guy was that guy would uh, would melt the cup if you asked him to pee. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. So Bobby Lashley, he's juicing big time. I mean, listen. Take one look at Bobby Lashley. You shouldn't be that surprised that uh, his 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 liver enzymes are all kinds of messed up. So we have this match now. It is Finley and his buddy William Regal for the U.S. title. JBL is absolutely furious at Teddy Long that he is making two friends compete against one another for the title. He doesn't shut up about it the whole match. This is also at the time when they're starting to do the angle with the introduction of Hornswoggle, the leprechaun, who lives under the ring and is Finley's friend, and then we eventually find out is Vince McMahon's son. So you you just had to be there. It was great. Um, This is after he started appearing on SmackDown, but before they gave him a name. So they just keep calling him the leprechaun. And uh, Michael Cole, I think, a couple times calls him the little bastard. That was his actual ring name, wasn't it? I think that's what people started calling him, but okay. he didn't have, like, eventually his name was revealed to be Hornswoggle, but people <laughs> would call him the Little, little bastard, bastard, which I like a lot better than Hornswoggle, <laughs> honestly. 
But so with pack. Yes. <laughs> so Regal obviously knows that his buddy Finley has a little leprechaun friend who lives under the ring. So he's like, you know, checking around under the ring for it. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's really, really on his guard about this little leprechaun man. So they do when they're actually wrestling. It's just it's Finley and Regal. They're going to do kind of a very more slow paced technical mat wrestling match. The fans do not like it. They're just not here to see that. It's it's technically good, but they they don't want it. They want to see wacky leprechaun hijinks, and they like they lock up and they're already booing basically. So naturally, the little bastard he gets involved. He's grabbing Regal from under the ring and he starts chasing him around with the shillelagh. It's just complete uh, slapstick comedy. Um, he bites regal's hand at one point and then you have finley like attacking the fingers doing finger break spots like he's pete dunn uh the fans are chanting boring even with the the wonderful leprechaun magic hijinks um regal at one point gets like caught in the ring apron he comes out of the ring apron and one of his boots is gone hornswoggle has stolen his boot finley starts stomping on his foot like he's kamaru usman in the fifth round (laughs) <laughs> then Regal, at the end of the match, Regal grabs the shillelagh. The referee takes it away from him. And while the referee is distracted, the re- the leprechaun hands Finley the boots that he had stolen off of Regal's foot. And then Finley uses it to hit Regal in the head, knock him out, and he gets the pin in 13 minutes and 49 seconds. And there's a very funny image after this match of Finley's retaining the title, the little bastard grabs the belt from him and he tries to run away with the title and then Finley just like grabs him and then just like th- violently throws him and kicks him back underneath the ring like get back under there you piece of trash go away <laughs> it's hilarious um the only good part of this match was little bastard question mark uh yes because that's my, like- my that's my only note here is Did more. you guys like anything else about it? So I can they shit were, on that too. I enjoyed. I enjoyed the leprechaun hijinks. It was just <laughs> it, it. It livened it up. And I'm somebody who, if you know me and you know the kind of wrestling that I like, I like the technical mat wrestling style. Yeah. But it's just as like the crowd just does not want to see it at all. They it, and you know it, and even this match itself is kind of relatively slow and boring anyway when they're not doing leprechaun stuff. <laughs> so it's just like all right, let's just get the leprechaun shit and get out. "Quote unquote leprechaun stuff." <laughs> well, that's what it is. They get a little bastard into the ring. He's gonna run around and steal stuff. Put that shit on a t-shirt, dude. Dude, I love leprechaun. Like, dude, uh, it's like it's like the Hangman Page cowboy shit t-shirt. I get a leprechaun <laughs> shit t-shirt. <laughs> I feel like like if you gave them a match in New Japan, this match is a lot better because they they do. I think they do technical wrestling a little bit better, like in the New Japan style. Whereas, like, you look at the WWE crowds, especially during this time, they want, like, a pop. And technical wrestling doesn't have a pop. And that's kind of, like, my big complaint with the entire cards. Like, there's no pay-per-view-worthy moments in ma- certain matches. Like, in the first tag team match, I think uh, Paul Lennon skinning the cat and getting drop-kicked off is suffice enough. But, like, if you look at the rest of the, like, matches that you have, there isn't, like, that one big oh-my-god moment in any of these matches except for Mr. Candy versus Batista. And, and I guess – And that's, and that's the not in, that's in the wrong way. way. No, that's, that's, in, the wrong that's way. in the wrong way. Um, 
So when you get this match versus Finley and Regal, two guys that are great technical wrestlers, it just falls off as boring, especially when you were promised Bobby Lashley, who's this big freaking nature who does all these power moves and is going to slam Finley and throw him around. When you have two technical guys go at it, it's not as good as like power guy versus someone that's very smart technical. Smart, smart technically. Because a technical versus a technical wrestler just doesn't work in WWE unless like you're on NXT. Uh, also, who am I? Who am I supposed to be rooting for? This is also true. It's a it's a heel versus heel match. You're supposed to be rooting for, I guess, the Leprechaun. <laughs> <laughs> like heel heel versus heel matches can work because we've seen it done plenty of times, and I think they work better than face versus face. But only when there's a story behind it, and you can tell, like one of them is kind of like a Kevin Owens anti-hero type. The, and this is also like this isn't even heel versus heel. This is heel lackey versus heel lackey. Because both yeah. these guys are lackeys for uh, King Booker. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. If, yeah. If it's if it's heel versus heel, one of them has got to be at the very least cool. You know what I mean? And neither of these guys are cool. Like I know right now AEW's doing like Eddie Kingston versus Lance Archer, and like both of those guys are cool, but in different ways. So you can kind of choose which guy you like better. Yeah. You know, but like Finley and Regal are just kind of two like forty-five-year-old just dudes who i don't know one of them has a leprechaun and the other guy is just sort of a dick you know <laughs> like there's something really cool about them. very very eloquent of you David. yeah well match was kind of <laughs> shitty and we you know, we all love the leprechaun stuff it's all fun it's, it's, it was the the highlight of the match for sure so we go backstage the main event is Rey mysterio he's defending the world heavyweight championship against king booker and backstage, he's there with his buddy Chavo Guerrero. And this whole Rey Mysterio story pretty much started with the death of Eddie Guerrero in November of 2005. Rey and Eddie were extremely close. And Eddie was incredibly popular. And it sort of launched Rey on this big babyface run. He came out of all of that. He was already over, but I mean, especially with the death of Eddie, everyone missed Eddie, and it, it really launched Ray as a as a big singles guy. And everything that Ray did, including you know winning the title at Mania, all that stuff, it was about Eddie pretty much, and about Eddie's memory. And they're doing this same you know promo that they're doing, talking about Eddie and how his last dream was to win the World Heavyweight Championship, and that. By being champion, Ray, you are living Eddie Guerrero's dream for him. And Chavo says that he's there to make sure that dreams do come true. But whose dreams, Chavo? Whose dreams? We'll get back to that. <laughs> put, a, put a pin in that one, too. Foreshadowing. That son of a bitch. Anyway, we've got Matt Hardy. Oh, yeah! We love Matt Hardy. This is the best Matt Hardy theme song. Facts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kick-ass version of Matt Hardy. He is, this is another Elevated Enzymes match. Elevated Enzymes match. This was supposed to be a Cruiserweight title match between Gregory Helms, the champion, and Two and a Half Mark's favorite, Super Crazy. But Super Crazy, Super Crazy, awesome, great wrestler. But Super Crazy's enzymes are elevated. So he is just replaced in the match by Matt Hardy. They do not ma- mention this at all. They do not say Super Crazy's name, I don't believe. I uh, know. 
this ends up just being a non-title match with the cruiserweight champion in it. Matt Hardy is not under the cruiserweight limit, so he's not challenging for the title. Um, early on, you've got Hardy uh, mocking the old hurricane gimmick from Helms, which I got a got a fun reaction from the crowd. Um, Hardy does some cool moves. He gets a big plancha to the outside, but then Helms comes back. It's a neck breaker. He gets the heat. He gets a really cool big swinging neck breaker off the top rope, but goes for the pin. Hardy gets his foot on the bottom rope. Matt hits his side effect. He hits this bulldog out of the corner. Gregory Helms comes back, hits a shining wizard for a big near fall. He wants to do, he goes up, tries to do a superplex, but Matt knocks him off. He hits a moonsault, then he hits a jumping atomic elbow for a two count. And then they kind of just go straight to this finish where Helms picks him up and sort of flapjacks him onto the top turnbuckle and then rolls him up, grabs the tights, and gets the pin. In 11 minutes and 43 seconds, Gregory Helms wins kind of just, it wasn't bad, but it was just sort of there type of match. I do not care about this at all. I, yeah, unfortunately, I fell in the category with Jake, even with Matt Hardy, which sucks. Uh, Remember Cruiserweight Matt Hardy? Yeah, he was great, dude. Oh, my gosh. Remember every single version of Matt Hardy? They were all awesome. Yeah, it's just a shame for this one. Like, I don't know. This match is like, no, Jake talks about like not hitting a gear. I feel like this match was wrestled in 0.75 times speed. Because if it had been at like full speed, I feel like this is actually a really fun match. Uh, the Hurricane reference got a laugh for me too. Because again, it's just Matt Hardy developing that charisma, something that he didn't really have early in his career and that he definitely got better at as he's gone on to the point where he's just a master at it now. Um, the, the double arm maneuver that he hits was kind of interesting by Helms. I believe Helms is the one that hits it. And then, at, at, like, at least this is a solid match. Helms with the belt actually looks really good, like, with the championship title. Like, the way he carries it makes him look like actually a big deal. And him beating Hardy is the right decision, too, in terms of booking. But, yeah, I just feel like this match was too slow for the two guys involved. And at the very least, they played the story off, like, with the elevated enzymes. It's like saying, oh, Helms is from North Carolina. Matt Hardy's from North Carolina. They've been wrestling in each other's shadows for years. And so this is, like, a big blow-off for them. So at least, like, I'll give them points for the story that they tell with Helms and Hardy. But, again, I just feel like this was a slower match that should have been a lot faster. Yeah, they legit came up together in, like, North Carolina in the same, like, backyard wrestling promotion and stuff. So they had a lot of history going into this match. But, yeah. This yeah, I, is... I, have, I have nothing to say because I did not care. Yeah, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's fine. I mean, it's, it's okay. It's okay match. But it's just there. It just is there on the show. And it doesn't really stick out in any particular way. Here is something that does stick out in a lot of ways. (laughs) We are coming up on the Punjabi prison match. This is one of the all-time gimmick matches, making its famous and long-awaited debut at the Great American Bash 2006. And there is so much speculation, rampant speculation, what is a Punjabi prison match? We're about to find out. So it is supposed to be Undertaker versus the Great Khali. But the Great Khali tested positive for elevated enzymes. So because this man, listen, I I can imagine that that dude has some big ass enzymes. I don't even want to know what Khali's 
elevated enzymes look like? Kali's enzymes are the size of my head. Kali's enzymes are elevated like Mount freaking Everest, baby. They're way up there. But, so, Kali is not wrestling, but he's still on the show. They need to find a way to scheme around the fact that they made this incredibly involved gimmick match for a specific person, and now he cannot wrestle in it. So here is what they do. Backstage, Kali is still just wigging out. And he wants to fight The Undertaker now. He just he doesn't want to wait for this Punjabi prison match that they did specially for him and probably spent a shit ton of money on. He doesn't want to wait for that. He wants to go punch The Undertaker backstage. Davari is pleading with him to chill out. Eventually, Taker appears, and Undertaker and Kali are about to fight. Then all of a sudden, who shows up completely out of nowhere with no, like, just nothing preparing you at all for this? The big show is here. No, no, no. They prepared for it. They did a spot on uh, Saturday Night's main event, and then after that, they did a spot on ECW. Okay, no one watched that shit, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> With absolutely no forementioned whatsoever, here is the ECW champion, The Big Show. He comes out of nowhere and beats the hell out of The Undertaker. And Teddy Long and finally a bunch of refs, they, they break up the fight. You know, the heels are all happy that they got their shots in on Taker. And then Teddy Long says, you know what? Tonight, there's only going to be one man who's going to fight The Undertaker. And it's going to be you, The Big Show. So now it is, instead of Undertaker Kali in the Punjabi prison, it is Undertaker Big Show. Just a complete last-second switch. It's amazing. But did you did you talk about the video package that they showed? No, I didn't talk about the video package. Because the video package was all Kali yeah. versus Taker. It was all about, like, man... Kali is so big and huge, and he's beating the shit out of everybody. We have to, we we need Undertaker back to beat him, and then it's Big Show. So then, I mean, like, I, I I assume that this enzyme thing must have happened like the day before or something, and they didn't have time to make a new video package or like at the last second. How about you just don't run the damn package? Yeah, you could also do that. <laughs> you could also just do that. Say, hey, we got this sweet video package about Kali. But he's not wrestling. So we can just not play it. But I mean, we we'll spent all this thing. money on it. Play it anyway. They'll love it. It's a cool package. It's such uh, cool WWE. shit. It was WWE really, it was a really good video package for sure. WWE always has good video packages. That's one thing you can say about it. But now, so it is time for the Punjabi prison. So here is what a Punjabi prison match is. You have two gigantic bamboo cages surrounding the ring. There's one inner cage that is like around the ropes and one second bigger cage that is like kind of around the ringside area. So there's like a few feet of space in between the two cages. The only way to win is by escaping both cages. The inner cage has four doors in it and at Do any you feel point dumb in time, yet, David? Time, <laughs> I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job explaining this match, so stop distracting me. So any point in time, if you are inside the ring, you can call for one of the four cage, the cage doors to be opened. And you have, once the door is opened, you have 60 seconds to go through that door. If you can't go through that door in 60 seconds, 
the door is then padlocked and will not be opened again. So you have to go through one of those four doors to get to the outer ring and then climb over the outside bigger cage, which does not have any doors in it. You have to escape both cages to win. Also, on the inner cages, they have like these bamboo spikes at the top. And they're trying to sell the fact that like, man, if you can't get through one of those doors in time, you're screwed because it's impossible to climb out of this cage. Okay, you just made all that shit up, didn't you? This is the actual match. <laughs> this is the actual rules of a Punjabi prison match. And the thing is, they did this match again. This wasn't the only time they did it. They did it, I think, three times now, right? Yes, they've done it three times. And it is insane. It is the most, one of the most convoluted match types of all time. And it The has structure be... looks cool, though. I and, think and... it looks like shit. Well, I, I think of it as, like, imagine being in that arena and trying to see anything that's going You can't see on. shit. You can't see shit. But it looks cool, though. I mean, yes, maybe the concept of, like, there physically being these huge bamboo cages is kind of cool. But, like, you can't, see, like, thankfully they have cameramen on the inside. Yeah. Because on the shots where they are trying to show you outside in, you can't see anything. <laughs> There's nothing. You can't see anything. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I'll talk about this once you're done. The Punjabi prison. So it is Taker, and it is now the Big Show. So Taker has his classic like twenty five minute entrance, and like there's Show is like crying as he gets into the ring. <laughs> like, he is selling really hard that like. I was not supposed to be in this match. I don't want to be in the Punjabi prison. And I don't want to fight The Undertaker. And this is all a little much for me. And he's legit, like, weeping in the cage. Uh. So, he attack, But then Sho ends up attacking him, like, right as he enters the ring. I thought this was funny, and I know, Jake, you're probably going to like this. Very early on in this match, Cole calls Undertaker, quote, Perhaps the best striker in the history of sports entertainment. So he was wow. as far back as 06. I want to go back and like watch every Undertaker match that Michael Cole has ever called and see when he started the best striker thing. I'm, I'm going to say it was whenever he came back as the Phenom after being the American Badass. Probably. I think you're probably right, but I want to like do like a deep, intensive research on this. Um, but yeah, it's show and taker, and it's essentially. Uh, it's it's basically just two big slow guys having a big slow cage match, except it's more complicated than a regular cage match, and you can't see anything. Uh, it sucks. The show beats him down for a really long time, and they do a bunch of spots where, like, they open the door, and someone's trying to go through the door, and then the other one stops them. Finally, you end up with... Also, there are leather straps tied to the cage for some reason. And so Big Show is using them as weapons. He's hitting them with the straps and choking them with the straps. It's it's ridiculous. So Taker ends up bleeding everywhere. Uh, Taker ends up, finally, he, he... Show climbs up to the top rope for some reason. And then Taker nutshots him and superplexes him. He takes Show out. So he ends up taking the third door. There's two doors that have already been padlocked forever. And then, so there's two left. This match is so freaking complicated. I, it's breaking my brain just thinking about it. Hey, but David, so he say goes pod. Out, 
he goes out the third Punjabi prison door. And so now he's he's made it to the outside. So now all he has to do, the Undertaker, is climb the last cage, and he will be home free, and he will win the match. So Sho just goes through the other door. So he's he's out as well. And there's also, a, on the outside, there's a bunch of tables set up that have, like, bamboo sticks on them for some reason. And Sho goes to the, uh, the last door, and he throws Taker around. He slams him into all the tables. And then, and this is good thinking for Big Show, he takes the Undertaker and throws him back into the ring right before they close the last door. And they slam the door in Taker's face, and they padlock it. And that means Taker is trapped forever inside the inner cage. And the Big Show is home free, because they have sold over and over again that there are these deadly bamboo spikes on top of the inner cage, and there is no way you can climb out from one of them. But then Taker just does it very easily. Like, <laughs> Taker just, so like, it's, it's now show. He's the only one on the outside. He just has to climb the outer cage and get out. But he's a big slow man. It's taking him forever. And Taker just very quickly climbs and very easily just climbs the inner cage. He braves the deadly spikes. He gets over and then he like just steps over to the other cage. And now he's right there with Big Show on the, on the second cage. So, also, they have ropes on the cage to make the climbing easier, which, I, why would you, why would you include that? I thought this was supposed David, to be, like, the Punjabi prison. David, you clearly don't understand how things go in northern Indian indie wrestling. I you just don't this, get it, man. I was, like, I, I felt like I was promised, like, the prison <laughs> from Dark Knight Rises, where you have to, like, <laughs> leap out and then you fall to your death. It's not like that. They literally have ropes to help you climb easier. Um, so I mean, they're probably for Kali because Kali can't walk. Period. In the <laughs> funniest, uh, probably honestly, um, in the funniest spot of the whole night. So like, Taker like climbs the inner cage and then he just like steps out to the outer cage and he grabs one of the ropes and he like very he like sw- like kind of like Tarzan like swings one of the ropes towards Big Show. And, like, lightly boots Show off of the cage. And Show, like, just lands on his feet. And, and Taker just dumps to the floor. But it was him doing this really shitty, like, rope swing and then just, like, tapping him off the cage with his feet. I sat there and I laughed for, like, ten minutes. I, I, the, the funniest part to me was what you already said, where it was, like, the spikes that make it impossible. But, like, Taker just lightly climbed to the top and stepped across. Yeah, it's like, oh, he's already there. He's, like, higher than Big Show is now. Yeah, it was it was amazing. So, um, he ends up leg dropping Big Show through one of these tables. Show blades. He starts bleeding everywhere. Then, uh, Kali and Davari make a run in, but they don't really do anything. They kind of walk out to the ring and start yelling at everybody, but they don't really do anything. Um, and then this is the finish of the match. Show is standing on standing ringside. Taker climbs up the inner cage a little a little ways. Turns around, he leaps off, he does a flying crossbody onto Big Show. They sort of back up and land, like, up against the cage. And the cage, this the side of this bamboo cage, just very easily pops open for them. And Show falls down, and Taker kind of, like, rolls out onto the ramp. And he is declared the winner because he has escaped the Punjabi prison. In 21 minutes and 35 seconds, The Undertaker has survived 
the Punjabi prison. Even though Big Show also went through the cage and technically landed first, I guess Taker like rolled further out onto the ramp than he did, so he went. It, the uh, dumbest shit ever. That's the Russo finish, right? Where like they both go through, but it's like there's the difference between whose feet hit first and who went through the cage first or some shit. Yeah, it's the Vince Russo WCW championship. Finish. I'm still mad that you called that shit in that match. But anyway. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. dude, what was it? The Taker and the, or it was no, uh, no, no. Roman and Brock in the steel cage. And I was and, like, uh, we're going to do the Russo finish. <laughs> <laughs> he said that like as Brock is walking out and then it happened and we lost our minds. Anyway, uh, so, all right, before I even get to the match. Uh, have you guys listened to Davari talk about uh, the 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 match itself? No. Have you guys? Okay. No. It's it's actually hilarious. So it, he's talk. He did this. He did a podcast for like Wrestling Inc. or something like that, and he talks about how Pat Patterson just made up the rules as they saw the structure for the first time. He says they walked into the structure, looked at it, and Pat was like, "Oh, maybe with the doors." If they have to shut every minute, we can get a false finish where like the doors open and then you just throw it back in before the right, right as the door shuts. They made the rules up like the day before the match. They didn't even have rules done, which is the funniest shit in the world to me. They, I mean, what do you like? Whew. Like you I don't can, even know what to say. You can <laughs> tell too. You can tell too that they literally just made this up. Like and they like, put no thought into it. Like, okay, in a steel cage, you have the idea of, like, all right, they're, you know, you have the steel cage because we have to keep you all confined to the ring to fight. Hell in a cell. It's a blood feud, you know. We have to put a roof on it so nobody else can get in or some shit. There's all of these things. What is the psychology behind a Punjabi prison match? They're from India. Uh, Davari was not. Well, Davari's Canadian, right? Kali was Kali was think, built from I, yeah. there. I think Davari is like Arab, Arab Canadian or something. I want to look. He's no, not, like I know Davari's definitely in, not. He's, not. he's not Indian in any way. Kali, Kali legitimately is. No, but... Kali, I'm saying like Kali, and then they did it for uh, Jinder Mahal. I believe like Jinder is Canadian too. But <laughs> Jinder, no, okay, yeah, Davari, Davari's parents are uh, from Iran, and he grew up in Minnesota. <laughs> 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 like, like, I'm not saying that you can't be in touch with your heritage if you're from Minnesota or something, but, like, to make that your character in wrestling, because they're like, Vince was like, hey, pal, you got brown skin, we're just going to make you a stereotype. Like, it's the yeah. dumbest shit in the world, man. Make you a stereotype of a race that you aren't even a member of. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. Damn, that's got to suck, man. <laughs> shit. That's like David being booked as an Italian. <laughs> yeah, no, I would, I would, I would live that up though. I would, I would live that up. I would live that gimmick. David and Angelo are going to recreate FBI. I would go crazy, <laughs> dude. Can, oh my can God. I say that this match would have been better with Davari? Yes, it probably would have. Because like Davari, you play, Davari is a better worker than Big Show. You play the story of like Davari has no reason to be here, and Undertaker just manhandles him, and Davari wins because Undertaker literally throws him off the cage or through the cage or something. Like that's is, that's inherently more interesting he than even, he doesn't even have to win. Like, but like, yeah. I think it would make a lot more sense to be like, "Hey, you know what? You guys think you're so tough. We're gonna put your little manager in there, and then have right. Taker murder him and throw him around, and then maybe he like almost wins somehow by shenanigans, and then Taker, you know, 
tombstone pile drives him through the fucking cage or something. Yeah. Like, uh, like whenever Kevin Owens beat Braun in the steel cage match because Braun murdered him off of the top. Or if, like, you know he, what I mean? Taker does a last ride through the cage wall. Yeah, some shit. Like, I, and I think this was one of the few matches ever that I would say could have benefited from some chicanery. Like, yeah. Somebody being under the ring or something like that. Because this just sucked. Like, I, I, I want to use this time to, like, talk about how interesting or how cool the Great Kali was during this time. Like, he just appears out of nowhere. He then demolishes the Undertaker, and then immediately you're like, "This guy's a big deal." It's a shame that he couldn't work, and that's not his fault. He just has bad knees. But like, they made him feel like such a monster, so, like such an important big person. Like they made him feel like a star. It's it's interesting because if you've ever seen videos of when Kali first started wrestling, like before WWE, like when he was in he was in Japan for a little bit. I think he wrestled in like zero one. And you see, like, clips of him from, like, the very beginning. And he's actually, like, kind of athletic. And you can see him, like, you know, jumping over the ropes and stuff. And it's this massive dude who can actually move a little bit. And you're like, God damn, look at this guy. That's terrifying to think about. And then, but, like, I mean, the guy is, like, legit seven foot whatever, like, 300 billion pounds. And, like, you know, your knees don't last very long, you know. Plus, he killed a guy. Did Let's he really? That he, he Wait, did he really? Oh, yeah, he killed the guy. Wait, when what? He was, yeah, when he was, like, learning how to wrestle, he accidentally killed a guy doing a flapjack. But it, like, wasn't really his fault. It was, like, the guy had... I think the school got sued for a ton of money because, like, the guy who died had, like, suffered a concussion earlier on, unrelated. And uh... then, like, they just made him keep wrestling. And then, like, he took this, like, face bump from Kali, and he just died. Oof. Yeah. I'm watching a great Kali match from. Oh, he actually wrestled uh, in. He actually wrestled in New Japan, apparently. 2001. And like, he's actually walking like a human being. That's yeah, a, it's crazy. That's dude. impressive. Wow. But like, Kali is just a guy that he started off like really huge, and then he became a running gag. And I think like his work as a gag, like the Punjabi Playboy, I I thought he was funny. I thought like that that era of Kali was still not bad, but it is a shame for me that we never really got like top of the car consistently. Great Kali, because he was. It's, it's not a shame for me because I mean, have, did you see the guy wrestle? Oh yeah, no. Holy shit! Wait, rem- actually, liked- remember like his skull crush uh, submission move where he would just squeeze the guy's head. It was effective because his hands were so goddamn huge. His finisher there for a while was the brain chop, which was never over. <laughs> But, like, there was I, – I, I get what Angelo's saying because there was a sort of attraction in the fact when he started showing up for the first time, just the sense of, oh, my God, look at how gigantic this freaking guy is. There was, like, this awe factor just physically seeing this guy. He was actually – so unimaginably large. He was actually at that SummerSlam, like, pre-show I went to. It was, like, him versus The Undertaker. And – both those guys are just massive human beings and seeing them live is just, it's, they're bigger than basketball players. It's, it's, it's nuts. What is this this thing that you went to? It's like a SummerSlam. I have the ticket somewhere here, but like, it it was like a little SummerSlam, like pre-show in New, uh, like uh, New Newark. Which is Uh, like a house show. Like a house show. Yeah. But it was, uh, they had Kali Undertaker 
and they're just massive human beings. And Kali just like makes the Undertaker look small. And think about like how hard it is to find a guy who's legitimately that big can do something in the ring because you're not going to just sign him because he's seven foot six. But I don't know. There's the Great Kali is like 2006 Angelo mind boggler because of like just the size of this lad. Yeah, just the absolute absolute unit, as they say. The size of this lad. I just rambled ab- like five minutes about the Great Kali. The absolute size of it. I mean, the guy was just freaking huge. At the end of the day, that's that's all he needed, I guess. Made, made one more good thing about the Great Kali. Uh, he was in the Longest Yard movie. He was actually kind of good in the Longest Yard. Not gonna lie. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I, I prefer the original Longest Yard, but it's still, still fine, you know. Still fine. It's, you know, not no Burt Reynolds range. Depends on how much mileage you can get out of Adam Sandler, and I can actually get a lot of mileage out of him. So, I I am of the belief, personally, there are three good Adam Sandler movies. One of them's Uncut Gems. The Water Boy, Billy Madison, Uncut Gems. Those are the three. Billy, Billy Madison is objectively a good movie, regardless. Yeah, I agree. Those are the three. Those <laughs> are the three. Actually, you you know watch... I like I like Happy Gilmore too. Would right. you rather watch a bad Adam Sandler movie or a good Great Khali match? I think it takes I'd rather a watch, movie. I'd rather watch. I would. I'd rather watch Khali. Uh, see, that's actually a trick question because that was never a good Great Khali match. <laughs> <laughs> well, for all we know, the Punjabi prison would have been the good Great Khali match. Hey, we can say we can say that, that he could have been five star Khali. Yeah, just like five star Lars. Maybe rest. Listen, Kali's career ended better than that guy's did. Okay. So next up, we've got we're we're going from low to lower. (laughs) We somehow downgrade (laughs) from the Punjabi prison. Listen, this is fine. The Punjabi prison is done. We can move on and clear our path. (laughs) We have the, somehow, this the, the Punjabi prison was not the worst match on the show. Because we have a four-way Divas bra and panties match between... Yeah. So, these four ladies, JBL is openly... They walk to their... He's worse, worse than King, man. It is worse than King. It is considerably worse than King. So the four the four ladies in this match are uh, Crystal Marshall, sexy teacher Michelle McCool, uh, 2021 Royal Rumble star Jillian Hall, <laughs> and uh, Survivor China pre-merge boots Ashley Massaro. May she, May rest, she rest. May she rest. And this match it's it's just a just a shitty cat fight where they're all just rolling around on the mat. I guess the the, the part of this match, the way you win, is if if you're the first person to get another opponent down to their bra and panties, you win. So the other two ladies don't have to be involved in the finish. It's like a fatal four-way match. Like you can just have one person pin the other person and that guy wins. You just have to be the person who strips one of the other comp- content, uh, competitors into their bra and panties and then you win. And so, like, the saddest thing ever is you're doing something very obviously to be like, oh, look at these sexy ladies. You're all horny, huh? <laughs> and nobody cares about it. That's the one part. Like, there's no reaction to any of this. 
none of the fans care about this. It's just, it just comes off like so deeply demeaning in every conceivable way because it's literally just these women doing a shitty cat fight and like ripping their clothes off and no one cares about it. It's like for no, for nothing and for nobody. It's but, really and depressing. And that's like, like if you go back to like early 2000, like 2001 ish women's wrestling, like sure. They did this ridiculous shit and everything, but like, I, I don't want to say this like without sounding misogynistic, but like, at least the crowd was invested and gave them the reaction they were seeking. Exactly. Like when they would do it with Sable or whatever in like right, 1999 right. or whatever, the fans would go insane for it. But right, here, absolutely. they do, and I'm not saying like, it's, it's, it's better when they care about it because it's not good either way. But when the fans don't react to it in any way, it makes it feel so much more depressing. Yeah. It's like, why are you I, doing this then? Right, yeah. exactly, exactly. Like, there's not even a point. To, yeah. it, it, it almost feels, it's more than demeaning, it's humiliating at that point. Yes, I completely agree with you. I think you put it in a very good way. But I think JBL sums all, like, their approach in this bad. very well. Bad. I think he sums it all very well. At one point in this match, he just yells, and I quote, I don't care if they're athletes. They are hot. <laughs> that is a verbatim line from JBL. The finish of this match comes when Jillian basically forces Crystal to motorboat her. And then while Crystal's head is in Jillian's titties, Ashley then rips Crystal's shirt off. And that means Ashley wins. And that's the end of the match. It lasts about five minutes. <laughs> I like I okay, okay okay so this is this is gonna sound completely unrelated but I have a point so David did you send Angela that snap that you sent yesterday which one the one OJ? about OJ yeah, yeah I think I did okay so David David is is in the ninety five era for his uh, rewatch so he sends Angelo and I a snap of an image on Raw where it's literally an OJ hotline. To call in and say whether you think OJ is guilty. Yeah. Right? It was from an episode of Raw where I think the next day they were going to announce the verdict. So, so all right. All right. So, in two, in 2021, why have you not taken that out of that Raw? Okay. Why would you? Is, is there a reason? So, well, here's what I'm getting at, Angelo. Why do you keep some of the shit that JBL says in, in this match? I don't know. Do you not find a way to cover some of it up? Like like the line that you just talked about. I also wrote that line down because I was like, man, they're not even trying to to hide the misogyny here. Like they're just outright being like, who cares what they can do? They're hot. I yeah. I don't know why you don't try to doctor that, which objectively is still a slime ball thing to do, but that's the type of shit that WWE does. I don't know. This was just, I was very uncomfortable this entire time. I feel bad for the four girls. Yeah, it's weird, it's weird because WWE, they're not like against just altering their <laughs> WWE <laughs> network at things all. at all. They will go back and change crowd reactions if they're not in line with what they wanted at the time. Um, they take out chants sometimes on like some of these old shows. They, you know, will remove something sometimes. But then they're just like, yeah, this is fine. We'll keep that in. We'll like, 
Yeah, it's exactly. Weird what exactly. they choose to get rid of and what they don't choose to get rid of. Yeah, maybe, yeah, that, you said it. That's it, exactly what I'm thinking. Because it's one, it's one thing. It's one thing if they just say, "Hey, we're not going to alter any of this anyway. We're just going to present it as it was." And yep. that's one thing. Okay, whatever. But if you're going to already start taking stuff out because it doesn't really fit with like what you want to be presented of your history, then what? Where are you drawing the line? Yeah, you you just summed up my thoughts exactly in a way I couldn't. I'm going to I'm going to leave you with this tidbit. I I I used to say work. Don't ask the question. If you don't care or don't need the answer. And I really don't need the answer because it's WWE. WWE is going to do whatever the hell they want to do. There's no point in trying to logic it out because it's just going to make you mad. But it's like, like I saw, like I saw Ashley, uh, how do you say her last name, David? Masaro. Masaro. I saw Ashley Masaro on Survivor and like, she wasn't like a big deal on there, but like, it's cool to see a WWE superstar on Survivor. Same with like John Morrison when he was on. Yeah. And Michelle McCool is a real person who is, Married to oh. the Undertaker now. I don't really know a lot about uh, Jillian Hall or um, Crystal. Crystal or Crystal. I don't know much about them, but like, like they're people. Like, and like I know that sounds like oh, Jake's trying to be woke or whatever, but like, like an SJW Jake Long. Yeah, but like, like uh, I like Angela said. Like, why do you need to know the answer? Because they were straight up humiliating these women. That's why I want to know. Yeah. Vin, Vince did it because he thought it would get a pop and make money. He absolutely did. And that's why we – wait, we hate Vince, right? Because I do. I hate businessman yes, Vince. Yes. I think – I, love, I d- love performer Vince. I think businessman Vince is uh, – okay. he's, he's, done, he's done a lot of bad, you know? <laughs> and, it, and if it's not that reason, it's because Vince wanted something to have on video to look at later. Remember whenever he made uh, Trish Stratus bark like a dog? Ooh, that's that's Ugh. one of the darkest. That's one of the most dark, darkest ones. Yeah. Jim, my, my only note for this match was Cole saying JBL v D- Dick Murdoch uh, was a bra and panties match at one point. And I thought that was funny. <laughs> oh, I would love to see JBL and Dirty Dick Murdoch. And, yeah. Known, known, known KKK member. Wait, hold on. Cole at one point said, this is what SmackDown is all about. And I was like... <laughs> Wait, what? Damn right it is. <laughs> actually, actually, oh, props to Michelle McCool for having one funny spot whenever they pulled the skirt off and she just had another skirt on. <laughs> like, like, why didn't you just wear 17 shirts to the ring? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, what, uh, it's like sometimes when like, like a luchador will have his mask taken off to reveal that he's wearing a mask underneath his mask. Yeah. I mean, you know what the greatest mask to a mask spot ever was, right? It's Sting. Sting takes the mask off. And it's Sting. And it's Sting. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle McCool. Uh, Michelle McCool basically Sting. That's what yeah, we come away with it. Yeah, she basically Sting. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. Aaron Carter is twenty trending on Twitter. I wonder what he's He's what fighting he Larry Odom in a celebrity boxing match. Larry Odom? Who's Larry Odom? Uh, not Larry Odom. Odom. Shit. Lamar, Lamar Odom. Odom. He's fighting Lamar <laughs> Odom in a boxing match. <laughs> Man, Eric Carter became a face tat guy? God damn. <laughs> How man, does Angelo butcher horrible. every name ever? It's Dude, funny because I, I don't him. butcher it at work. Dude, I hey. love I loved Larry Odom on the Lakers. <laughs> hey, remember <laughs> whenever you all yelled at me because Aaron Carter was the answer to a trivia question? No, because I actually knew that answer. No, I got that one right, too. Okay, so. never mind. Man, he got face tats. That's wild. <laughs> Speaking of like face injuries. Oh, yeah. Speaking oh, of face geez. injuries. Well, okay. Uh, so next up, we got two matches left. Um, we've got backstage a baby 
Mike Mizan in The Miz interviewing Mr. Kennedy. And, you know, Kennedy is in this next match with Batista. He does, you know, he yells his own name really loud like Mr. Kennedy used to do. That was over. You know, you had to be there. But the, the absolute sight of this childish Miz with his hair was overwhelming for me. I didn't expect it, and it just it hit me like a Mike Tyson punch. It was incredible. Um, like I would, I would recommend watching this pay per view just to find this young Miz, just this this rare Miz. It's incredible. So the next match is Batista and Mr. Kennedy. This match was supposed to be Batista and Mark Henry. Mark Henry is out of this match, not due to any enzyme related issues. He actually blew out his knee very shortly before this match. He was out for a really long time. So he is out. He is replaced with Mr. Kennedy. Kennedy comes right down to the ring, and he reaches up to the heavens to do his cool ring announcer thing. And then Batista just attacks him and starts beating him up. Batista was, you know, one of the most over guys on the show. And Batista's cool. We love, we love Batista. Kennedy almost immediately, they're fighting on the outside. He gets busted open. I'm pretty sure hard way. And he's bleeding everywhere. I mean, he's got all this blood leaking everywhere, all through his bleach blonde hair. It makes him look like a lost Rhodes brother. And he just is getting his ass kicked and leaking blood all over the ringside area, all over the rig. Um, Eventually, he starts getting the heat. Uh, but Batista comes back. He posts Kennedy into the corner a bunch of times in a row. He starts doing the, like, foot choke in the corner, and he doesn't stop choking him with his foot. And the referee, Lil Nate, Charles Robinson, counts to five, and he disqualifies Batista. And that's the end of the match in eight minutes and 38 seconds, just a, a nothing match and a disqualification and afterwards, Batista hits him with three spine busters and a Batista bomb, and his music plays, and he leaves. So that's that was the match. It, uh, oh, incredibly pointless in every way. So regarding the stair spot where like Kenny busts his head open, like apparently during that spot he actually has cranium exposed and required twenty stitches. He, you could see a big freaking gash yeah. on his head. No, and, like, the fact that he continues working, because that was early in the match, like, he works for another six minutes. Uh, kudos to Mr. Kennedy here, but he looked out of his gourd on the way to the ring. Like, he looked like he was high on something. Yeah, uh, well. And, and I was really pissed that Batista ruined the Mr. Kennedy Kennedy spot, because I always pop for that. I love that. That was, like, one of my fa- favorite gimmicks as a kid. Uh, oddly, even though this match does nothing... It feels like it puts over both guys in some way. Like, Batista, like, beat the shit out of another guy who is, like, prominently on the card. Uh, it makes him look like, not a chump, but, like, just brutalizes him. And then Mr. Kennedy, like, for hanging in there with all that blood gushing from his wound for six minutes, like, kind of feels like a bigger deal now. Uh, but, yeah, there's not a lot to go on during this match. It's kind of hard to watch because of how much blood Mr. Kennedy is losing. Uh, overall... It's a shame that this is probably the second or third best match on the entire card. And that's saying something. I um, just feel bad for Kennedy because, like, he lost, like, 20% of his blood volume. Like, he reached, like, a 1.5 on the Muda scale for just the most, like, nothing match in history. <laughs> that's, that's actually what I was about to say was, like, 
like, okay, Kennedy was busted wide open. Like, I've seen guys get busted wide open, but it's like Brock versus Taker in Hell in a Cell. Or Randy Orton, Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam, like 14 or 15, something like that. I've never seen it in the cooldown spot to a main event. <laughs> like, when was the last time that you saw Ric Flair like wrestling before the main event and just was like, "All right, guys, I'm gonna paint the ring red." Like, you don't, you've never seen that before, dude. It's horrifying. It really is horrifying to see, and it's again, it's for nothing. This yeah, match exactly. is not. It's this match is nothing. And he loses like all of the blood in his body for it. I just really feel for him. And it's oh, not man. like it's not like it was intentional. I mean, he got busted open. It happens, you know, just a little mishap. But shit, man, that sucks, dude. When the injury is described, when the injury is described as exposed cranium, does that just not make you cringe? And it legit looks like, like there are several spots in the match where you can like really like you get a good straight on look at his forehead. And it looks like his forehead's growing a vagina. <laughs> it's really bad. It's really listen. Bad. I, I know that I know that that indie wrestling is really hard to come by right now. But David, if once your in ring career really takes off, if I don't see you busted open like Kennedy within like six months, I'm never watching another match of yours again. Within a year, my forehead's gonna look like Abdullah the Butcher. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I want it to look like my cutting board after having it for three years. I'm going to bleed over every single bingo hall in America, <laughs> baby. Dave- David Savin's Bleed Across America tour. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. Uh-huh. I, make- would, I would attend that tour. I'm going to make no money, and I'm going to lose all of my brain function. It's going to be so cool. So here we are. It's the main event. It is King Booker. Challenging Rey Mysterio for the World Heavyweight Championship. King Booker coming off of just recently before, I think it was at Judgment Day, he had won the King of the Ring, transformed into the classic King gimmick. He's one of the only guys ever to do the King gimmick and actually make it somewhat entertaining. Uh, and Rey Mysterio, the babyface underdog champion, he won the title at WrestleMania. It was a great classic moment. Um, the big underdog story, but people forget that on the ensuing run, he got beat all the time and basically kind of made to look like a chump. Pretty much every TV match he was in, that was they would make it non-title and then he would lose. And if it was title, he would lose via count out or whatever. Yeah, it was sort of like you just kind of got the feeling that like, yeah, he's he's like Batista's little buddy, you know, like Batista's <laughs> letting his little buddy have the title for a while. That's sort of what it felt like. But it is Ray and King Booker for the title. Uh, I guess they had a lot of time to kill because King Booker's entrance is like twice as long as an Undertaker entrance. <laughs> it's pretty insane. He, him and his queen, Charmel, they like roll to the ring on this throne that's being carried on the like the back of this kind of... like It's not... It's not really a flatbed. It's just kind of like a really, I don't know if it's like a car that has like a trailer behind it or something. Um, I couldn't really tell. I couldn't really tell either. It's got this kind of solid platform underneath it, but they're on this throne and there's this dude dressed as a knight who's driving them out. You know, he's got the cape, he's got the crown, he's got the scepter. 
and he just takes forever to walk in the ring and then he like stands in the ring and like stares out at the crowd forever while his music plays uh this is when jbl was actually really funny to me like how intensely and how like poetically he was just espousing how like king booker is a god of wrestling and how he's like the king of king like like listening to him wax poetic about booker t was actually really really funny because i was like i was like chuckling at it because it was so insanely over the top and i enjoyed that a lot but afterwards uh ray comes out he gets a really good reaction from the crowd he was always over um, while he's coming out to the ring, JBL calls Michael Cole a socialist for some reason. <laughs> uh, very, very adamant that Michael Cole is a socialist, and I for unclear reasons. Good to see we haven't changed since 2006. Yeah. Um, so we start <laughs> out. <laughs> we start Shut out up, in this Angela. match. We've got uh, Charmel on the outside. She is getting involved when the ref has his back turned. Booker gets a ton of heat by doing Eddie Guerrero's three amigos suplexes and kind of, you know, doing some of the Eddie Guerrero mannerisms. Um, He goes for the scissor kick. Ray fires back. He goes for a 619. Booker ducks it. And Ray ends up coming through and hitting a Tajiri-style buzzsaw kick for a good near fall. He goes for another 619. And as he bounces off the ropes, Charmel trips him. The referee sees it and tosses Charmel from ringside there's one really cool spot in this match that i like where ray goes for that sort of wheelbarrow bulldog that he would do but booker catches it as he's coming up and just kills him with this huge back suplex i thought it looked great he then uh goes for a top rope move of some sort but ray gets speed up he gets a bunch of moves in he hits this kind of weird looking papa Hurricane rana where he like kind of lost contact with booker t in the middle of the move and then booker t just kind of stands there and just does a flip bump on his own um, he then does a springboard crossbody. He hits a tornado DDT for another big near fall. We get a ref bump. Ray hits the seated senton, hits the 619, goes up. He hits the Eddie Guerrero frog splash. The crowd goes crazy. He pins Booker T, but there's no ref to count. So then, with the referee dead on the outside, Booker T hits a low blow. He hits the bookend Uranagi. He then goes, grabs a chair. Ray drop kicks the chair into Booker's face. Both guys are down, getting up. Out comes Ray's buddy, Chavo Guerrero. It looks like oh, Chavo's come in to help his buddy Ray Mysterio. But instead, he grabs the chair. And you want to talk about an unprotected chair shot to the head. <laughs> He's, the sound that chair makes when he hits Ray Mysterio in the head. It sounds like he's hitting a 450 foot home run. It's, it looked like it looked like he, Ray wasn't ready for it. He absolutely decimates Ray Mysterio with this chair. Finally, you know, Booker T like rolls over onto Ray and he's laying there. Eventually, the ref finally revives and climbs back into the ring. He does the slowest one, two, three in history, and he counts the pin and. King Booker is the six-time, 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 six-time world champion in 16 minutes and 46 seconds. That is the show. Now, was this not the best Booker match that we've had 
on the podcast. Probably, yeah. I mean, there were a couple good spots. Ray's good in it. It's a perfectly solid match. I actually know? feel like Booker does better with smaller opponents, especially with the King Booker gimmick, because he never feels... I don't know how to phrase it, but he always feels like he's better off picking on a guy that's smaller than him and getting his comeuppance as opposed to playing an actual legitimate threat like he does against yeah. Batista. He's uh, sort of wrestling that's against a guy like Ray as a heel. He's wrestling that kind of heel like I'm bigger than you, more str- I'm stronger than yeah. you, I'm going to kind of bully you and kind of slam you around a little bit style. And it, I think it works solidly well in this match. Because you also, like, again, Ray's, like, just a great baby face. He has the jumping out the sky entrance, which I loved and marked out for every time. It, it just feels like I, this version of Ray Mysterio for me is just inherently perfect for just me, at least. Because I feel like this is the best Ray Mysterio we get. It's the one that I remember. It's the one that I became a fan, a fan of. Um, it's very simplistic. Like, I feel like, for example, his masks. I feel like his masks are perfect during this era. Nowadays, they're a little bit too fancy. Like, he just had the Royal Rumble one where it's sponsored by Victoria, and they do a beer a beer ad read when Mysterio <laughs> comes out. In the middle of the Royal Rumble, <laughs> they did a full ad read. And, like, they're I all, like, they're like Louis Vuitton or, like, these fancy, like, brands. And it's just, like, it's too much. Back then, it's just, like, a simple mask. He's got the, uh, not the parachute pants, but, like, the baggy pants. <laughs> and there's just something inherently that's drawing to me with this version of Rey Mysterio. It's just like, I want him to win everything. Same with me. This version of Rey Mysterio, 2005, 2006 Rey Mysterio made me a fan of wrestling. Like the first time I watched wrestling, there was Rey Mysterio. I thought he was the coolest guy in the friggin' world. You know, and now, what I think, 15 years later, I have a podcast. I, th- I think it's so funny or, or not funny, but just like we've talked about it before where it's Rey is like this innovative high flyer. And it's like the most high flying movie Dove does is like a top rope splash. Yeah. Like, like what else does he do? I think a lot of like with Ray though, it's a lot of the moves that he does around the guy, like how he does right. like those like, like the Hurricane Ranas or the Tornado DDTs. Um, right, I, I, right. I feel and, like- and the Hurricane Ranas are awesome because it's like he's so little that Booker can like pick him up and spin him or Batista or whoever he's doing it with, which which makes total sense. But I don't know. It's always been like. Uh, it, or it's kind of like how they call Kofi a high flyer, and it's like <laughs> it's like name one yeah. move that Kofi consistently high flies in, like yeah. Well, and it's also all relative to WWE too, because I mean, right. when Ray was a lot younger, he was a legitimately incredibly innovative high flyer for his time, and like I mean, the moves that he does, they did. If you watch like any lucha match, or even a lot of like PWG style matches, like people are doing way crazier shit now. But, like, in, ni- in the early 90s, like, people weren't doing the things Ray was doing. Right. But now, you know, it's 2006. Like, he's working the WWE style. He's bulked up a lot more. He's not, like, quite as springy as he used to be. So, yeah, like, he's still going to be kind of the high flyer. But, yeah, he's probably mostly doing, like, springboard splashes and, like, seated sentons and stuff. Right. As- which, are, which are cool. Mm-hmm. But As a whole, though, like, this is, I would say... It doesn't redeem the entire pay-per-view, but it's a very valid main event. I feel like this, you could throw this as a main event for definitely like a Great American Bash main event, not like SummerSlam or WrestleMania, but I thought this was a solid main event because you have your big main events uh, pay-per-view spot with Chavo doing the run-in and obliterating Ray with the chair. You have King Booker's uh, grandiose entrance. 
You have Rey Mysterio, a guy that's super over, super popular. Like, I feel like it just hits the notes. And then the, the match itself, is it, like, a five-star match? No. But it's entertaining. Because you have, like, this heel king who's essentially bullying Rey Mysterio, who's, again, even though he's a champion, he pulls off the underdog champion really well, even though it's, like, a very, like... It's almost it's an oxymoron. The underdog champion, like you've made it to the top, you are the champion. You're not really an underdog anymore. But Ray does it. Um, I, I, again, I just feel like this was a great match. It's great because again, the two guys you have involved, King Booker. This is just why you do the King of the Ring gimmick and you go full out with the King shit. You don't half ass it. You go full King. You have the grandiose entrance. You have the regal music. You have you have this pompous attitude as your character. That's what you do. You don't half-ass it. You don't split it with your theme music. You don't act like you're still this badass. You're a pompous shithead, and you better act like it. And I, I always really like the King Booker gimmick because he leans so hard into that like pompous shithead aspect of it. Because it was like it was a part of his character that like he was trying really, really hard to be like the king, but then at the same time, like when he would get really riled up, he would just go back to being regular Booker T. You know? and, like, and the facade would fade. Yeah, yeah. like he, he would, like the the facade would come off, and then he would just be Booker T again. When like when he would lose his cool, and I always really enjoyed that about him. I That's like, like a very kind of real like a, thing. Yeah, there's like a there's kind of like a self awareness in the character. Yeah, yeah. But. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I always sort of felt like it was one of the only times that they really kind of did the King gimmick in an okay way. Because, like, I, you go to King Barrett. King Barrett acts like this badass, even though he's got the regal music. Like, he acts like this super tough guy, even though he's the king. Uh, Seamus, kind of the same thing. Like, he's just a super badass who's the king. Baron Corbin, kind of the same thing. Although, he, he does do the pompousness a little bit better than the other two. But it's not the right level of pompousness. It's not the right attitude of pompousness. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, it's just missing. It's, and I think that it starts with his theme music. It starts with how he comes into the ring and how he cuts his promos, but like King Booker, man, he got it. Yeah. I feel like it's the one time that they really, like somebody really got what I feel like the King gimmick is supposed to yeah. be. You're going to do that as a heel. Like it's supposed to be like, look at this freaking jerk off who thinks he's the King, you know, but listen, like that's what it is. That's what I'm you're going not- for. I'm not going to respect a king gimmick until somebody shows up like King Henry VIII and just starts executing his wives. Oh, man. Queen Charmel better watch out. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Because Queen Charmel's awesome. Yeah. But, like, I... <laughs> until somebody shows up to do a King Henry VIII gimmick, I'm not going to buy it. I'm just, not, I'm just not here for it. I'm trying to think how you would work that. Would, like, instead of beheading them, would you just do concertos? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah like, oh. like, you don't actually kill them, but, like... Yeah, it's just like like every week you have a new wife. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. Like you have like a guy be like, yeah, I mean, leading the Henry VIII gimmick. Like he's got to be kind of like a fatter guy, you know? Yeah, yeah, he's not, he's not necessarily good looking. not necessarily. I'm not gonna say Bronson Reed, but I'm thinking like that that body type. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then like he comes up with like a different like female wrestler every week, <laughs> and then like every time he loses, he gets mad, and then he. Cuts their head off. He can tear their head. <laughs> you and see, then next week, the next week comes out with a new wife. <laughs> you see, I was actually, I was yeah, thinking like you, ha- you have the king, you have like his wife, you have 
a guy that's like this really big guy, like buff jacked, like, and he's the executioner. He has the hood on his head. And then you have like the faction, kind of like your Finleys and Regals as like your underlings with them. And then every time the underlings fail him and or annoy him, boom, concerto by the executioner. And yeah. it keeps, and that storyline keeps going until the very end where it's just the king and the executioner and the executioner turns on him. Big face turn for that executioner. I love it. I love it. We're booking it up. But all the, all the little, all the little like, little pansy like kind of courtier types like the fiddlies and the regals they have to be like they have to be sort of i'm, I'm picturing j and j security perfect like, yes. yeah, they're kind yeah, of, yeah yeah they're kind of smaller guys who are just like complete stooges you know what i mean and they're they, complete stooges you have one guy that gets executed on really early and then you still have two more and they like they have to beg <laughs> the king not to execute them like, you say, no, 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 we're valuable to you. We're valuable to you. And, like, the king just keeps mulling it. And then, like, there are teases that he's going to do it. There are teases that he's going to do it. And he won't do it. And then until the very day he does. In, yeah. In, in hindsight, yeah, it was probably pretty bad for me to say his wives. So let's go with his lackeys instead of his wives. Let's keep his wives alive. Alive. <laughs> we're not actually advocating killing your wife uh, for sure. <laughs> let's just make sure that that is clear. This is purely for a wrestling angle, and no one is getting married or killed in real life. <laughs> that might be my best idea since I said that the Fiend should team with Drew Gulak. Angela, you've <laughs> only had one good idea ever, and it was this one. So let's just move I love, on. I love this, I love this faction idea. I actually legitimately, <laughs> into it. I'm legitimately into it. So that will wrap things up out of uh, Great American Bash 06, and that will take us to our two and a half. Marks, Jacob, start us off. All right. So I'm. I, we were talking about our marks earlier, and so I'm excited to hear your alls. But my uh, my half mark is a positive mark, shockingly. But it's actually going to go to whoever had to put together the Punjabi prison structure, <laughs> because that could not have been an easy job. Like I assume that all of those bars are made out of steel in some capacity, and then they had to make them all look like bamboo i guess but they also had to make it collapsible like they had to be strong enough to walk on but they also had to open up outwardly for that last spot okay so whoever they got to make that structure i think it was like a um davari said it in that interview it was like an airline company or or something like that really some big company that that put it together for him uh, and then that structure got used for three matches ever. So that's, and I actually think it only got used for two because I think the most recent one was a new one. Was it really? I because they, they did the one. They did the one with. They they did one like actually with Kali, Kali in it, right? I think it was Kali and Batista, and then they did the one with Gender, right? Gender and Randy Orton. Yeah. I wait. This is really weird. David, look this up. Battleground 2017. Ooh, I'll be impressed if you hit this one. Dude, you got it. Yes. yes. <laughs> Gender and Randy Orton in the Punjabi prison. You know prison. why I know that? Because a podcast I used to listen to was doing a chair giveaway for like six months from that show. That's the only reason I remember it. Anyway, so, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, I, if I remember that, even if it was the same structure, it was modified for that show. So, anyway... Big props to whoever put that together. I'm giving a negative one mark to heel versus heel matches with uh, people that are friends. I know that's kind of specific, but it just doesn't work. Like you can't. It's like Angelo said. 
that heel versus heel lackey thing doesn't work. If you're going to do a heel versus heel match, you have to have two guys who have a story, and one of them is the anti-hero in the match. It can't just be straight up heel, heel, nobody gives a shit about either one of them, and they want them both to like get uh, baned off of the, the face of the planet. So that never works. And I, I don't know if you all gave marks to this, but I had to, man. My negative two marks go to Cole and racist, xenophobic, misogynistic JBL, man. I could not put up with it at all. We talked a lot about JBL, but Michael Cole hasn't changed in 15 years. He's still doing the new champ, new champ. Oh, no, they didn't get him. Like, how have you not changed his style in that long? Uh, Some things that JBL said. Why don't they speak English? It's like being on the road. It's only cheating if you get caught. (laughs) He died when he said (laughs) (laughs) that. He dumb as shit, man. (laughs) (laughs) Dave's actually dying over there. Yeah. Dumb. Bad. Uh, He said that Finley grew up in the hood of Ireland. Um... He said, I think it was talking about one of the women. He said, I want to get one for Christmas. No, uh, he said that about the leprechaun. Or about the leprechaun. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Uh, I don't care if they're athletes. They're hot. Someone bring me my Hennessy and Black American Express was a line that JBL said after the women's match. Uh. I hated it, dude. It just made me feel like. So uncomfortable with all the stuff he was saying. I just couldn't. He was bad. I've never liked Michael Cole ever in my life. So negative two. Be gone out of my hearing range. Let me go next. Uh, My half mark is actually going to over the top JBL. Now, he said a lot of messed up stuff. Let me preface this. He said a lot of messed up stuff. However, when you I, I chose to view it through the lens of I need entertainment is what he's saying entertaining in any aspect, whether it's messed up and horrible or genuinely funny, like David said. And like, I, I just, it's just background noise. I don't take anything of it. I don't think that if you, if you think like the JBL on air thinks, reevaluate your life choices. However, on a card that is horribly boring. It is one of the few things as at least even a little bit entertaining. And so that's why it gets my half mark. And I'm not giving it a full mark because it doesn't deserve the full mark because there are some <laughs> absolutely awful things that he says. But at the very least, some of it's entertaining. Um, my one mark is going through 2006 SmackDown tag teams because, man, I think growing like Ray Mysterio was always cool to me. But the thing that always drew me in was tag team wrestling. Uh, Paul and Brian Kendrick, absolutely. Uh, Eminem were fantastic heel tag teams. Pitbulls, not a lot of memories of them, but, you know, like, this match was fine. Jesse and Festus, Deuce and Domino. I mean, those guys just, I was always entertained whenever they had the tag team division on SmackDown. It's a shame that WWE doesn't treat their SmackDown division as seriously now. Because back then, like, this still felt important. It still felt like wrestling. It didn't feel like a comedy bit. It actually felt like an actual real match for a title. So I'm giving my one mark to the 2006 SmackDown Tag Team Division because whole lot of nostalgia there. <laughs> and then my uh, negative two marks, card subject to change. 
This card was so butchered and so bad. Um, and part of that's due to the elevated enzymes. Elevated enzymes! Finley Regal sucked because, again, you have those two heels and they're two heel lackeys. So they're, no one's over. The only thing that's over is Leprechaun. Helms vs. Hardy is okay. They kind of did a good story for it, but again, it just, it wasn't what it would have been. Like, imagine if that's a super crazy match with Helms and those two different styles. That's a lot more fun than this version of Matt Hardy versus Helms in a non-title match. And then obviously the big one, The Undertaker versus Big Show instead of The Great Khali in a Punjabi prison match. I don't need to say any more about that. So my negative two marks, card subject to change. Yeah. Bad. Just, just, just Bad. comical stuff. My negative half mark is going to 35-minute-long King entrances. Because <laughs> I feel like it's sort of a thing when guys get the King gimmick that they have to have this really long entrance where someone carries them out to the ring on a throne or they're slowly driven out to the ring on a throne. I, King Mabel used to do that when, like, yes. they would have, yeah, like, yeah, a yeah. bunch of dudes slowly carry this 500 plus pound man out to the ring and it would take forever <laughs> and it how just, much of this is driven by your 1995 wwe a lot of it right a now. lot of it a lot of it a lot of it but it reminds you know is as uh i believe it was mark twain who once said <laughs> that history doesn't repeat itself but it often rhymes <laughs> And I feel like history rhymes here. It shits. It always takes the air out of a building. It's, it's bad. So my one mark. I have never heard that before. But I'm dying. Look that one up. It might not have been Mark Twain, but it's a real. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you. My uh, my one mark. I'm gonna get my one mark to elevated enzymes. Elevated enzymes. <laughs> now, I I, I want to give a disclaimer that. I have learned through the research I have done watching this show that you actually you don't want your enzymes to be elevated. <laughs> That's bad. And you know, I, I personally, I, I don't know what that's like. I, I'm sure in all the respect to the survivors of this serious health problem, you know, I've been told by several doctors in the past that the enzymes in my liver are perfect. They're some of the best <laughs> enzymes that they've ever seen. But... I think we've seen here that having elevated enzymes, they did actively help this card in one way. The fact that it was Undertaker Big Show instead of Undertaker Great Kali in the Punjabi prison match took that match to potential worst match of all time status to just a shitty match status. So... Big shout out to uh, Kali's Enzymes. I hope they're doing well. And I'm going to give my negative two to Braun Panties matches. Because, I, I, I mean, we, we went through it. We addressed this very thoroughly. Uh, they're bad. There's never been a good one. There's never been one that was really, like, there's, there's, there's never been one that didn't make you feel gross for watching. And I just couldn't help but think, watching that, Braun panties match on this show, like, God, I, I can't imagine being somebody watching this show in 2006 and like my parents walk into the room at that exact moment. Oh my God. That's on TV. It generally I got, know that happened to somebody. That definitely happened to somebody. It generally got worse every minute that the match went on. 
Yes. It, it was just, like we said, that followed the Punjabi prison match, and it was somehow a downgrade. And I don't know how you pull that off, but they did it. So, that will wrap up our coverage of WWE Great American Bash 2006. Normally, this is the part of the show where we spin the randomizer and we see what we're going to watch next week. We're actually, as we do every 10 episodes, once we hit a round number, we like to take a break from that, find something different to watch, find some different guys to talk about, and that's what we're going to do next episode. The randomizer will return next week, but on episode 40, we're going to be watching, we're watching this because I have been like, just never shutting up about how I want to watch the show for the podcast. I think the correct word is bullying Angelo and I into agreeing. I think you've been clamoring for this since episode 20. I have been bullying these people into watching this show for the podcast. We're going to be watching AAA and WCW, the When Worlds Collide show from 1994, which was considered at the time one of the great wrestling pay-per-views of all time. It is on YouTube, so you can all watch along with us. Pero Aguayo and Conan in a steel cage match in the main event. We've got a mask versus hair match. Two out of three falls between the team of Eddie Guerrero and Art Bar versus Octagon and Hio Del Santo, which is considered one of the like great matches ever up to that point. And it's just, we can actually watch some stuff that's good. Because I, think- I feel like we've been on a run of some Really, really just dark shit. Dark shit. Well, let's see. I, We've had Elimination Chamber 2015 was an horrible. I didn't. It was not good. It, it was not good. What not good. Extreme Rules was not good because it yeah. was like four hours long. Well, Back- we also didn't even get a podcast episode of it. So, <laughs> and then Backlash, and then Backlash O2. That's all I have in this notebook. But yeah, we we um, could use this. I I, I think it'll be it. fun. One of the things I'm really excited to talk about is the history of the. And I probably won't talk about it. I'll probably get David to talk about it. But the history of the mask versus hair matches, which is something that is super interesting to me. Um, just like how much heritage there is in that and like the meaning of the mask and stuff like that. Always super yeah. cool. We've never really done we've never done like a lucha show before. So this should be pretty fun. You got some Benoit, you got some Scorpio, you got some young Rey Mysterio on there, you got psychosis, you got a lot of guys. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So Next week, we're going to be watching AAA WCW When Worlds Collide. It's going to be real good. So that is the show. Thank you guys for tuning into episode 39 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. For my friends, Angelo Inglisa and Jake Long, my name is David Statman. Thanks, everybody, for listening.